Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, here we are, another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Lots for your consumption this week. A treat coming up at Sadlin Arena involving police dogs. We'll tell you how you can get involved. Another interest rate hike expected from the Bank of Canada in early September. We get some tips on riding out the rise in mortgage rates. We get caught up on how Barry is attacking the affordable housing issue with Mayor Alex Nuttall. But first, the City of Barry and the Barry Sports Hall of Fame held a special rededication ceremony this week, a reinduction, if you will, of Bobby Rosenfeld into the hall. Rosenfeld's story filled with uphill climbs and battles from her coming to Barry as a Jewish immigrant to her rise as an Olympic athlete winning gold and silver medals in track and field events at the 1928 Olympics in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, her story being told in the coming days in a Theatre by the Bay production entitled Bobby. Barry 360's Will Conkin learning more from playwright Trudy Romanek, this is her first play, and producer Teddy Nenkayon. Why did you want to tell the story of uh, Bobby Rosenfeld? I felt like it was an important story to tell because although I was born in Barry and spent most of my life here, I did not know who she was. And when I finally did learn who she was, I was appalled that I had never been told who she was because her story is, um, it's iconic. It's an incredible story. And it just is a story that needs to be shared with people. You know, a hundred years has passed and uh, she's the kind of personality that absolutely deserves and needs to live beyond that hundred years for sure. How did you um, find out about her? What, like, what, what, were you just reading something and it happened or did someone tell you about her? Actually, what happened is my father um, was on a hockey team when he was a teenager that did really well. And so when he was in his 70s or something like that, his team got inducted into the Barry Sports Hall of Fame. And so as a dutiful daughter, I attended him to that ceremony, uh, attended the ceremony with him. And uh, I saw Bobby Rosenfeld's picture up on the wall. I don't think I don't think I was even close enough if there had been a name plaque to see what the name was. I just saw the image and went, well, that's interesting. She's clearly important in the Barry Sports Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know if I asked someone. And then, you know, vaguely in my mind, I had heard the name Bobby Rosenfeld. But I didn't know anything until I started looking into it. And then it was like, holy cow, this is a larger than life person. And the anecdotes are like fantastical. Literally, it was the hardest part was deciding what to include in the play and what I had to leave out because she's one of those 
people who you tell the stories and people go, that can't be true. And it's like, I saw it in black and white in a newspaper. (laughs) So yeah, really important story to tell. As like you were researching about this or learning more about this, what maybe kind of caught you off guard about this? Or maybe what's like an interesting fact that maybe you were like, oh, wow, like obviously the entire story is incredible, but maybe something specific that really caught your mind. Yeah, I think it's the story of of an immigrant, of an immigrant Jewish person, an immigrant Jewish woman. And so it's all those intersections, I think. It was really eye-opening to see how, how Bobby overcame those different prejudices um, to become the amazing athlete that she became. Um, and so t- to see how Trudy kind of uh, fictionalized, or not fictionalized that, sorry, um, like, what's the word? Just like represented, yes, represented Bobby's story on stage. It it really hits each of those points um, in a very meaningful and truthful way. And it's it's a side of history that, like Trudy said, is very important. Um, and especially it's important to acknowledge that, like, yes, she's an incredible Canadian woman, but also she had to go through all of this stuff to be considered a Canadian woman in the first place. And we live in a Canada, I think, that... that you know, we like to celebrate diversity and, and we're working on, on being better at that too, right? Um, and so that is why I thought this was important. Um, and that's what surprised me is just like the honesty with which um, Bobby's story is dealt with. There's no sugarcoating. Um, it just says the facts and it's great. Yeah. And Trudy, you were saying that uh, this could almost be like, <laughs> like a, probably like a day long performance in a sense, <laughs> if you wanted to like actually kind of get everything into there, right? Like how, so how does this, uh, the performance unfold? What is it just like a chronological ordering of, of what happens throughout her life or like kind of like how, break, break it down the performance? Well, I don't want to give too much away, um, but I will tell you that as I said, it was difficult to figure out what I wanted to tell, which portions of her life I wanted to focus on, because as you say, there are so many. And um, and as Teddy said, the element of her life, the fact that she was an immigrant, the fact that she was Jewish, and what that meant in the 1920s, that really kind of smacked me in the face when I started researching. Uh, I was looking a lot at newspaper headlines and articles. And there was just this undertone of bias. Um, And then there were a couple of headlines which are in the play that uh, when I got to those, I was just like, nope, 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 nope. This, it has to be, we have to deal with this. Because anti-Semitism and gender bias and, and immigrant bias, those things are alive and well, sadly, still today. So, I mean... You look at the Women's World Cup situation, um, look at the, you know, there have been several anti-Semitic acts of violence, especially in the U.S. Um, in the time that I've been working on this play. Uh, so I think the, um, the fact that those things are still so prevalent and that we're still working hard to get beyond those is really critical. And I also want to add that Bobby was such a diplomat. She dealt with all of these things with such grace, uh, according to all of the accounts that I have seen and like read and heard about. She had a magnificent sense of humor and she won people over so much that she slipped her message in 
of acceptance in a way that was so palatable and so um, friendly that I think the people around her accepted her for that reason. And I really hope that this play does the same thing. Wow, that's incredible. Um, How long is the performance running for? We have our opening night on August 31st, uh, and we run until September 10th. And then uh, where can people uh, get tickets? And it's also happening at the Five Points, correct? Yes, it's happening at the Five Points Theatre, downtown Barrie. And you can get tickets on our website, (laughs) theaterbythebay.com. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I just wanted to add, in addition to the Bobby Rosenfeld event that's happening on the 30th, that um, for two of the performances, those are the matinees the first weekend, September 2nd and September 3rd, there will be talkbacks after the matinee performance. So on September 2nd, that will involve um, a panel of historical experts, one of whom is Rochelle Thompson, Bobby Rosenfeld's niece. And also Bruce Kidd, who's a former Olympian and sports historian, and Anne Dublin, who is the only person who has written a book specifically about Bobby Rosenfeld. And then on the third, after the matinee, the Sunday matinee, there will be a talk back with the actors and the creative team. Affordable housing. Are we making any headway? The Premier reinforced his government's commitment to getting more built at the recent Association of Municipalities conference. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall was there. He brings us up to speed through Barry 360's Ian McLennan. Not too long ago, um, the Ontario government set a target for a number of municipalities to meet in terms of the number of housing units to be built. What was Barry's target? 23,000 uh, 23, 23, uh, units in the city of Barry. Um, obviously, that's across a, a spectrum of different housing uh, types, but 23,000 is the, the general and number. By 2031? Yeah, ten, uh, it was a 10-year plan in right. 2023, so I think it might actually be 2032, but in that neighborhood. Is it broken down how many units, like how much can be affordable? How No, there's no breakdown. The more I think the more I look into it, the goal is to just bring a whole bunch of new supply to the market to obviously meet the need in terms of of, of demand, but also to, to lower the increases that we've seen in the cost of housing over the years. Is 23,000 doable? Can Barry, I mean, there's a number there, well, but we're, Yeah, we're way on our way. Well, you know, we're well on our way. When, when I was uh, first sworn into office in November, I think the number was about 13,000 that we had uh, approved through the system. Uh, out of the 23,000 that we've been given a goal for, uh, we've now uh, approved about another 4,500 units. And just a couple of weeks ago, or even uh, it's the 16th of August, we approved another uh, about 1,300, 1,400 units. So we're going to be in that neighborhood of 20,000 today. And the goal is 23,000. My guess is by the end of this year, we'll have approved much, much more than our goal of 23,000. Now, approving doesn't always mean built. Which That's right. As factors come into play, as developers, you know, the interest rates, the shortage in the trades, and a number of factors get in the way. So has the Premier been clear in terms of what is approved and what is actually built, or do you know where he's going around that? Well, as you know, like municipalities don't build housing, right? And so uh, be pretty difficult to hold us to account as municipalities for uh, developers and builders not building housing at the same time. Uh, we are working with every uh, developer and builder in the city of Barrie to try to facilitate the the building taking place. Uh, construction costs, as you know, are out of whack. Interest rates, inflation, all of these things are, uh, you know, coming into uh, the equation of whether 
they are actually proceeding with building or not. One of the, I think, bright spots for us as a city is that we've seen uh, long-term care units uh, approved and we're doing a groundbreaking across from City Hall in the coming weeks. And uh, at the same time, we've also seen uh, the approval of our long-term care and that entire development on Young Street uh, on the 16th, which was 1,100 units by itself. So I think we are seeing stock starting to move and we're seeing it in some of those places where vulnerable individuals can be uh, helped. And so that's, I think, a really good sign for the city of Barrie. I mean, the premier talks about, you know, even on the Greenbelt building, housing, af- affordable housing. Um, can we go back to that? What, what's affordable? And it, I mean, people want something they can, you know, put down some money on. And you're not you're not responsible for the interest rates and what have you. But, you know, people want well, that dream. What's, what's affordable? You know, in, in the idea of governance here. Uh, affordable is determined by CMHC. So I think it's somewhere in the 14 to 14.50 for a one bedroom is what I recall uh, being quote affordable. At the same time, you know, we have lots of folks in our community who wouldn't even find that affordable, right? And so uh, there is a, a constant challenge here. We, As we continue to grow as a city, we've not built up the affordable housing that's ne- been needed. If you think about the last major build for affordable housing was in Mill Creek over on Young Street. Well, that's where I grew up as a kid. So what does that tell you? You know, uh, so we obviously need to have more built. That's why the counties come to the table. They're building on Rose Street. Uh, they're going to get uh, affordable housing built there. Uh, I think it's going to be about 200 units total. And uh, that'll obviously make a dent. But when you have a 7,000 person wait list, that it's, it's not much of a dent. Right. It's not much of a dent, especially when it's growing each and every day. The city, I think, is in a unique place here because uh, we do have properties that are uh, vacant, that aren't parks uh, that we can look at. And so, you know, we're we're going to over time look at doing that and hopefully be able to create some incentives and some supply uh, to meet the need of the day. Now, the previous council was looking at um, properties that were basically, you know, on uh, shopping mall lots, um, church lots and whatever. Um, has that, is that still on the table, they, uh, that, all that property? Yeah. And in fact, we've had uh, many conversations with, with different churches and faith-based organizations over the last nine months. The reality is that, um, that you know, when you're, when you're dealing with others, they have their own uh, priorities. They have their own responsibilities. They need to take care of first and foremost. You know, I, I'm a type of person where I want to see us cut all of the uh, reasons that are no, all the barriers, uh, and cut right through and, and get get supply to market. So, um, you know, yes, work with our partners. Yes, work with uh, folks who own large parking lots. Um, at the same time. I believe that the city is one of the players that needs to be in the game on this. And uh, we will, uh, you know, we'll be talking about that over the next six months. And um, with affordable housing, it's not as simple as snapping your fingers and you're going to build it. What are what are some of the roadblocks? Is it the same thing as just regular residential housing with developers, needs, construction trades? I think if you can think about the business case for any housing, whether it's rental or ownership, let's go with rental for a second. Uh, if you're paying market rents, I'm guessing market rents on a one bedroom in Barry is about 2000 bucks right now for, for, for a new one, yeah. right? And so then these would be new supply. So if you can only charge $1,400 
and developers can't make the $2,000 a month work or they'd be building it all over the place, then the business case for the $1,400 is even is even more difficult to make happen. There are federal programs through CMHC. Uh, there are dollars that are available. Um, but f- what we've heard to date is that it's it's not really hitting uh, hitting any meaningful way to be able to spur on that development. For someone who's struggling to pay the rent, interest rates are going up. People are now you know, could be losing their home or they're paying way too much a month now. That's that's not your doing. But what message would you say to people? Look, look, Mayor, I can't afford to pay my rent. The city's too expensive. And I know you've touched on it. How do you give hope? Well, I think I think, first of all, you know, inflation is something that's, uh, you know, been very, very difficult in places like the city of Barrie where you've seen growth because it means a lot of new mortgages and those types of things. To individuals who are struggling right now, like you are not alone. Everybody, everybody is struggling in one way or another. And, you know, the conversations around housing need to be about how we get housing supply in place. Uh, And I think, you know, four or five years from now, we're going to look back and go, okay, we met the day. The problem is getting there. And so there are a bunch of programs here in the city of Barrie. The County of Simcoe runs a bunch that can help through these types of situations. Um, We've always been a community that takes care of our own and we need to continue that. And on the federal, I think on the federal level and on the provincial level to a lesser extent, but on the federal level, I would say that, you know, they need to deal with the spending and they need to deal with, uh, with, with the uh, dollars that are, have been free flowing because it has put us into a bit of a situation uh, that, you know, we're facing high inflation, high cost increases. We're not alone. This is not unique here, but it is certainly exacerbated here versus other places. I was, I was actually reading a, a post in a report. I can't remember where it was. I think it was online. I was reading on the weekend where it said in 2008, uh, what happened in the United States with their housing bubble burst, the, the, Canadians actually got ahead of the U.S. in terms of quality of life, but that's now reversing, reverting back because they don't have the same, uh, the same exact same problems we do, and uh, I think that that is a, a sad, that's a sad day because we do we do take a lot of pride in the fact that as Canadians we have an incredible quality of life where there's healthcare for all, where there's access to education. Um, and right now, some of these things are being put at risk by, by inflation and by, by increased costs. What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began last summer, meeting Ali LaLiberty, a Midland native who has danced with the stars in Hollywood and is helping young dancers here get a leg up performing. Also met Barry resident Mitchell Hooper, who is one of the strongest men in the world and went behind the scenes in the filming of a movie in a haunted house. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on What Barry's Talking About, a police dog demonstration, and with no end in sight to higher interest and mortgage rates, what can you do to keep from losing your house? Now this. Our community rocks. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. 
It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 2 donate Our community rocks on Barry's Rock Station. Rock 95. Anxious times for anyone looking for a mortgage, renewing a mortgage, especially with another possible hike in the Bank of Canada rate in the next week or two. What do you do? Do you go long-term, short-term, fixed rate, variable rate, tear your hair out maybe? I don't know. Derek Battaglia has been in the mortgage biz for some time and has recently blended his mortgage business with a real estate business to look after all of his clients' interests. We'll learn more about that in a bit. But first, uncertainty abounds. Everyone's situation is different. How are you finding ways to help people get through this? Yes, it's a concern today. My clients call um, trying to predict the future. Um, I don't have a prediction. I'm not an economist. I got the the COVID thing all wrong. I thought prices were going to go down. They went up by 20% and, and more. Uh, people were buying luxury items that didn't make sense to me, but there was a lot of disposable income floating around. I think there still is. Uh, real estate prices have maintained. They, they saw some drop, but that was just, you know, a little maybe uh, concern over the future, but they have pretty much leveled out in, in the major markets. So today, mortgage rates are, are somewhat double what they were two years ago. So if you're coming up for renewal, you're, you're going to get some sticker shock, but there's some, been some pricing that the government's put in with the stress test that has helped, um, some of that, I mean, we're, we're beyond the stress test now, which is at five and a quarter percent. So, um, but not that far off. So the pricing was built in there to, to account for this shock. So when somebody comes to you and they're, they're looking for some advice and you've got the variable rates, you've got long-term fixed rates, short-term fixed rates, what are you looking at with them in terms of, of finding the best solution? Uh, it would have been even different one month ago because we've seen fixed rates jump half a point to one point, even in the last month to two months. So, you know, if it were me, I always look at it from my perspective and consulting with family. I mean, everyone's individual. So you do have to look at their application. So it's a real personal, overall general knowledge of the market, where they're headed in their future, understanding their, their kids' education, understanding their goals, understanding their age because even the reverse mortgage plays a role today in, in all of this. There's no payments at all for a reverse mortgage, as long as you have equity in the home. How those that can help finance a, a, your child's purchase of a home, co-signing. So th- there's a lot that goes into analyzing an individual's perspective on what, what's the best for them. And pensions come into that, uh, your savings, your RSPs, even if you have them. <laughs> Somebody comes to you, they're, they're, they're on the brink. They've been pushed as far as they can go. They think they're going to lose their house. Have you been able to find ways to, to, to get them through this and, that, and, and, and uh, yeah. you know, get to the next level and, and wait because things will get better? I think the brink, we're coming to that. We haven't seen it yet. We're mm-hmm. getting little trickles of it right now. Uh, but the, the, the employment is still strong. People aren't losing jobs. And there's lots of jobs out there. So what I'm seeing is on the brink means maybe cutting back. Uh, the mortgage seems to always be paid. That's the last thing that someone will, will you know, mm-hmm. not pay. Mm-hmm. So they'll stop maybe a credit card payment or, 
you know, they'll cut back on their cable or whatever subscriptions they have. Like they really have to buckle down. And these are things that I'll look at with them and say, you know, your, your, your cable bill is $250 and these subscriptions are like total up to $500. Like let's really focus on some of these other items because, you know, you don't want to be out on the street. You've got to go rent and you may end up paying more for rent than you are for your mortgage and taxes. And, you know, our expectations have, have been very high, our standard of living. I think we also have to look at maybe someone has to share some expenses with you. Maybe your room needs to be rented. Maybe you need to, you know, find ways to, to rent or fix the basement so that someone could live down there. Uh, or maybe you live down there and rent the top floor, you know, because losing the house is not an option. Yeah. Because if you lose your house, where are you going to go? So it's a real desperate desperate time. It's not, hasn't been like that that I've seen in the past. And again, it's not a long history, but at least you lost your home. Renting was the savior because it was cheap. That's not the case. There is no option. I sense from you that uh, there are strategies. There is a reason to sit down before you you toss the baby out with the bathwater, sit down and explore what you could be doing to hang on to your investment. Yeah. And for those that are really in the desperate areas, um, you know, that would be losing employment or a split up and now you've lost half your income in your home. That's when you, you really need to buckle down, get rid of the mental health stuff, find someone that can sit down and really analyze your situation and come up with real, real situations and then implement them. As a mortgage broker, we're, we're not just pigeonholed into one bank's policies. We have multiple from private lending to reverse mortgages to bank mortgages to, you know, so there's lots and lots of solutions that I have at my fingertips that you can suddenly plug and play. But I think, I think the biggest one is you have to understand that client's personal goals, personal situation, their kids, their educate, all of these things, even do they like, are they happy with their employment? Mm-hmm. Do they want to change jobs? What's out there? What, what, what opportunities? And it's that sharing of, of information that can really get someone into a much better place in life. And that's what this is all about, is finding a good place in life. All right. Tell us about the new venture and how that works into all of this. Right. So the timing's been pretty good. Yellow Brick Realty is a company, independent real estate brokerage that I've owned for some 20 years, just kind of parked. And I've been doing the continuing education along with, I used to be a real estate bank appraiser and I do real estate development. Plus I have my mortgage brokerage company with with 80 agents locally. And, you know, it's managing those things. But the real estate company is a new thing that we're going to be promoting shortly uh, so that our real estate and mortgage brokers will be duly licensed. So they'll have this knowledge to, to bring in-house and share with our clients so they don't have to go uh, and bring in separate entities. We'll be able to coach them on all of these aspects. And is this new to the area? Is anybody else doing that? It's it's. It's new generally because it takes a lot of mentoring to get someone to be able to do both. They're not, they're not easy jobs to be able to manage both, but you have to have the, the staff and the training and the experience in-house to allow that to happen. A lot have tried, but they've failed because the mentorship piece isn't there. And if you, don't, if you can't coach someone through a mortgage process, you know, really, they're really separate businesses, but they can become one if you have the right team. All right. If somebody's looking for advice, they think they've hit the wall, they want to know what they can do, maybe what they shouldn't be doing. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I just love it. If they, you know, they go to yellowbrick.ca, look for me, even derek.ca, D-A-R-I-C-K.ca gets to me directly. And I just, you know, I'll just have a conversation. 
There's no obligation. There's no cost. Let's just see what comes out of it. Thanks for dropping by today. Thanks for the insight. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Might just be what you and the family need at the end of the first week of school, and it's free. Barry Police at the OPP hosting the annual Canadian Police Canine Association trials next week at Sadlin Arena with a public day on the Saturday. Ian McLennan getting the details from Barry Police Canine Handler Matt Aboffs and Melissa Peary, a canine handler with the OPP in Mississauga. So, um, who let the dogs out? I know that's a bad pun, but the dogs are going to be let out. Um, this is a canine uh, competition involving uh, police dogs, for lack of better words. What is taking place in Barrie uh, coming up uh, next month? Yes, yeah, so we have a the Canadian Police Canine Association is uh, hosting its annual conference and trials. So there will be teams from across Canada uh, attending Barrie. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to co-host with the Ontario Provincial Police. Uh, it's a week-long event uh, that is uh, the competitions closed uh, to the public specifically for the the police canine um, component. However, we are hosting a public day on Saturday, uh, September 9th uh, at 9 a.m. and then another show at 1 p.m. at the Sadlin Arena, which is a free event where the public can come out and uh, observe some of the things that the police dogs do. And Melissa, is this sort of a, a, like a canine Olympics? Uh, um, I mean, there's comp- is it competition? It's a competition, absolutely. And we're, the prize is bragging rights. There's really nothing else to it. Um, it's just uh, being with other handlers and competing against each other. Uh, we all have different assets and our dog work different ways. And it's just our ability to uh, show what we can do um, to help uh, serve our communities. And Matt, what sort of events, if you like, will the dogs be engaged in with their with their handlers? Yeah, the, the canine teams uh, will be participating in uh, a tracking component, uh, criminal apprehension, uh, article search. Uh, there's also a detection component as well. Uh, so uh, chosen teams can uh, enter into that. And there's going to be for controlled drugs and substances, drug dogs, and also explosive detection dogs. And Melissa, have you competed in competition like this before? No, never. I've only been a handler for two years, so this would be my first opportunity to do so. And um, what are the expectations uh, going in in terms of, you know, what, what sort, do you know what you'll be and your, your dog will be involved in in terms of, uh, you know, the competition? Uh, absolutely. Uh, what we're going to be expected to be is just the best that we're capable of and kind of um, this is a learning opportunity for me. Um, every environment for our dogs is different. The stress that I'm going to give my dog and the dog, the stress the dog is going to be under. Um, so we're just going to work through that and then try and hopefully be uh, one of the top dogs. And Matt, um, uh, this comes from across Canada. Have you, and have you competed before? Yes, I have. The last time that it was Ontario. Uh, previous to this, uh, Camrose, Alberta. Uh, hosted this event. Uh, certainly, um, it's it's uh, a rotation through provinces uh, for host host cities, and we always try and put on the, the best event when we are hosting this uh, national competition. And you said, Matt, it's for uh, bragging rights. Uh, what do the dogs get? Yeah, so they get they get what they always get. They get their toy, which is right. the most important thing <laughs> to them, um, and, and that's really how how we train them. All the events uh, are simulations of what they would do operationally. So certainly um, we're being judged uh, by very experienced uh, canine trainers and canine handlers. 
uh, which is also sometimes uh, arguable and suge- suggestive to your dog's performance. But certainly, um, it's whatever you put into your dog, you're going to get get out. And Melissa, if you could identify um, the dog or dogs that you'll be working with um, over the uh, over the competition. Uh, so I'll be using my general purpose dog, Titan. Uh, he's a four-year-old Mal Shepherd. Okay, and how about you, Matt? Yeah, so I have a, a, a new dog to me. He's a five-year-old Dutch Shepherd that was uh, with a ple- previous police service, uh, and I'll be testing him in the trials this year. Again, you talked about what the public will be seeing, Melissa or Matt, but I'm just wondering what, you know, what, what do you think the public gets out of it? You know, this is, um, they see the dog sometimes on TV or what have you. What, what sort of learning do you think the public takes away from this? Uh, I, I think they'll see the kind of the partnership that, that we have. Um, we're responsible for these dogs. They're with us 24-7. So the bond that we have and the control and the obedience that we have with these dogs, I think, is quite remarkable. Um, and just for the public to see um, the, the, the relationship that we have and that the, the help that we can give our, our communities um, is quite remarkable. And Matt, that's a key component too. It's, it's, it's educating the public about the relationship that um, you have with the dog and the, uh, the critical component that a canine unit plays to a police service. Yeah, absolutely. So you can watch a hockey game on TV, but certainly being there live is going to be a, a fairly spectacular event to see these dogs. Um, again, it's, it's a, a community event. So in my experience as a handler, uh, you don't really have a lot of interactions unless you've been lost or, or a wanted person. You, you don't get the opportunity to see these these dogs up close. And I and I know that it's it's a very fascinating thing for people to see and uh, quite enjoyable. Again, the public demonstration will be held Saturday, September 9th at Sadland Arena. Two times to choose from, 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Both events have free admission. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical tweaks, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on X at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com, and through our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.